Let's take the Holy Scripture and turn to Romans chapter 14. Thank you, all you brothers that have gone before me in our opening worship this morning. Romans chapter 14. The greatest preaching service described in the Bible is found in Nehemiah chapter 8, in that there is more detail provided there than anywhere else in God's Word of what a preaching service should be like from the part of those preaching and the part of those hearing. But it tells us this in verse 8. So then they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's preaching. Reading the Word of God distinctly, giving the sense and causing hearers to understand what is said. Romans chapter 14 in and of itself might not be my most favorite chapter in the Bible. This subject may not be my favorite subject. Nonetheless, it is a very important subject. I trust all of God's words. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And as Deuteronomy would put that particular sentence, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And Romans 14 and Romans 15 are two of those chapters. If you will humble yourself and come with one mind and come attentive, as the people of God did in Nehemiah's day, you can benefit from this section of Scripture that we will cover rather quickly, the Lord willing. Cain, being of the evil one, and being manipulated in his heart and moved by the devil, said to God, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are. We are our brother's keeper. And the apostrophe goes in front of the S. If the apostrophe goes in front of the S and not behind the S, then it doesn't mean that we're the keeper of the church, but we're the keeper of every individual that makes up the church. Every other individual in the church is important to each of us if we're going to follow New Testament apostolic religion because of all the one another duties that are found there. Each one of you is responsible for every other another that is in here. And another is a singular pronoun referring to each other person. And so it's all the, this myriad of one another duties that we have. But let us read the Word of God. Romans 14 verses 19 through 23 are the ones we want to cover. This is the word of the Lord. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Amen Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 19, let us therefore, I hope you never tire of being reminded of the importance of therefores telling us that there's a logical conclusion being drawn of material that has already been presented. And the material that has already been presented is primarily beginning at verse 10 down through verse 18, and I'd like to show you that. Now, I'd like to run this, therefore, all the way back to Romans 1.1, maybe go back to Genesis 1.1, because I find that everything is drawing a conclusion from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, because that's the ultimate foundation and premise for everything we believe, is that there's a creator God. But let's go back to verse 10. I want to show you three things that are the three points that are being drawn to a conclusion here. First of all, in verses 10 through 12, do you remember... We shall all give an account before the judgment seat of Christ as to how we practice Christian liberty. That was serious business. Then, in verses 13 through 15, the weak should be protected because Jesus died for them, as the last three words of verse 15 tell us. Then, in verses 16 through 18, righteousness, peace, and joy are lifted up as being more important than 
any meat or drink rules or rules of Christian liberty that we might have. So when we look at that, the seriousness of the judgment seat of Christ, verses 10 through 12, charity toward those that Jesus died for, verses 13 through 15, and then righteousness, peace, and joy in verses 16 through 18, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Because he has just said it is righteousness, peace, and joy that pleases God. And if you are pursuing righteousness, and if you're pursuing peace, and you're pursuing joy in this church body, then you are doing something that is acceptable to God and approved of men. You are growing in favor with God and men because it is those things God delights in. And it is those things I want you dedicated to. It's We want to burn ourselves out in the service of the Lord God Himself and of one another. That's why He's put us here together in this church as has been already stated today. But let's follow after the things that make for peace in verse 19. The first goal is peace. Peace. Every married couple knows how precious peace is. Every parent knows how precious peace is. Every manager knows how precious peace is. Every pastor knows how precious peace is. Peace is wonderful when everyone is getting along with each other and everyone loves each other and everyone forgives each other and everyone forbears and overlooks each other and is lowly and serves each other. Those different organizations can be wonderful things or those different relationships can be wonderful things. And the organism of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can be wonderful when peace is being pursued. Peace is an endeavor. Did you hear Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 earlier this morning? Endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes work. It's not something that happens. By you showing up, you don't make peace at all. What have you done to make peace? They are called peacemakers because you can make peace. You can't make it rain, but you can make peace. And God expects you to be peacemakers by being a keeper of your individual brothers, and by being in love and joy with all of them, forgiving all of them their offenses against you. They are always going to offend you. That is why God put us together down here like this. He could have saved us and taken us all to heaven in a glorified condition to where we would no longer offend or irritate each other, but that wasn't His plan because that wouldn't be good for you. Do you want something good for you? Take your medicine. What's your medicine? trying to get along with me or you because you're impossible so it's peace and it's an endeavor and it's something we have to work at blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God James chapter 3 my one of my favorite passages as the young people heard this past Wednesday evening let me read to you the last two verses the wisdom that is from above this is not the devilish wisdom of being bitter This is not the devilish wisdom of having strife. This is not the devilish wisdom of having envy, which comes from the devil and which is underneath and which is sensual. This is the contrary wisdom that comes from God. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, loves to be corrected. That's a wisdom from heaven. You can know that the Spirit of God is in you when you love for somebody to tell you that you're wrong. Solomon taught that in all 31 chapters of Proverbs. It's the greatest evidence of wisdom in a person's life that you like to be corrected because the only way you can ever be better is to be told you're wrong. It's the only way for progress to ever happen in the world is to say the way things are being done at the present is not good enough. There's a better way to do it. And when it's a better way to do it and you're the one involved in it, that means you've been wrong. And so now do you want to be right or not? And do you want somebody to tell you how to be right or not? It's a wonderful thing. That's, that's true wisdom because you want to learn and change and improve and progress. Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Those that make peace sow righteousness in peace. That's a, that's a three, peace turns up three times in James 3, 17 and 18. That's how important it is. Making peace. Are you a peacemaker? 
Do you go through this congregation sort of like a politician, except not like a politician at all, because it's not just mere words, but it's affection and love and effort put forward to the whole church so that we all stay in peace? Back to Romans chapter 14, verse 19. It's the first thing we want to follow after in the way that we relate to each other. Romans 14, verse 1 to Romans 15, verse 7 is simply this. To keep a church unified and at peace. That's all it's about. 30 verses. To keep a church unified and at peace. And there is this whole set of things that cause people to differ over. We shouldn't differ over the Bible. God has spoken, and we say, God said it, that settles it. So we don't, you know, there's no division over this. But there's all these other things that we do. You know, if a woman in this church has an epidural, there's some women in here that think she's bordering on the unpardonable sin. You know, she, she may have done blasphemy against the Holy Ghost because she got an epidural. Because after all, God did not have a tree called the tree of epidurals that you would go pick an epidural from and stick it in your spine. And so that, and you, and somebody might be thinking, well, that's, re- no, you don't even know anything yet. If you don't think that that's an issue in women's minds, you don't know anything yet. It amazes me that a woman would even have an opinion about an epidural. And if she has an opinion, keep it to herself. Now, see, I'm starting to mention things. This is like one of the first things I've mentioned. And over the next few weeks, it's not going to be five things and it's not going to be 50. And it's going to get ugly in here and the air is going to be filled with fog and steam coming up from underneath collars because I'm going to get every single person in here. And I myself will have my problems because I'm as opinionated as anyone here. But brethren, we give up all that stuff for us to be at peace. You and I, if we love the Word of God and we love holding fast the things that God has taught us and earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, we will not vary. But you know what? We're supposed to agree to disagree on everything that's not found in the pages of Scripture. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to agree to disagree on everything not found here? If you don't have an overwhelming tsunami of evidence based in the Word of God, then you don't have enough. Are we, are we willing to do that? Because we're our brother's keeper. Oh, we want to be at peace. Do you know why we want to be at peace? Just direct those two eyeballs of yours down to verse 6 of chapter 15 because it has me worked up and I love this. It's my favorite verse. Uh, well, there's a lot of good verses between Romans 14, 19 and 15, 7, but look at that sixth verse. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If it takes our unity and if it takes our peace for us to properly glorify God with one mind and one mouth, that excites me right there. When God tells me how I can better glorify Him, I get excited. Why do we love baptism in this church? Because we know that there's a verse in the Bible, 1 Peter 3.21, that says baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. And if the Bible tells us that there's a good way that we can answer God with our conscience, if there's a way that we can speak to God that He sees and rejoices in, we want to be baptized every Lord's Day. If not every day of the week. And when it says this is how we can glorify God, we should want to do it. And what it says is that we have to have one mind and one mouth. We are thinking the same thing and we are speaking the same thing. But on all those little things like epidurals, which I just pulled out of the air, God doesn't care. When we are agreeing to disagree, then we are of one mind. Then we are of one mouth. Because we don't talk about it in here. Because we don't allow doubtful disputations about such ridiculous things. There's people already preparing their email to me to tell me how dangerous epidurals are. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. God doesn't care how you have your baby. You can have planned C-sections on your birthday for all ten of them. So that you have ten children that have the same birthday as you if God doesn't care one bit how you have your baby. I love to irritate people, but you haven't seen it yet. (laughs) Next Sunday is going to, I mean, it's going to be irritation month. Because God doesn't care. Can, can Can we all get over it? And I'm going to be saying some things, and sometimes I'll tell you, this is one that I have a pet peeve about, and I'm going to get twisted out of shape up here, and I'm going to say, but just go ahead and do it because I love you. 
Because that's what we're supposed to do. I love, let us therefore follow. Are you ready to follow someone? Let's follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's follow the Apostle Paul who is following Christ and told us to follow him as he followed Christ. And this is what Paul taught us to do. That in these things, even these things that had some Jewish support in the Old Testament scriptures, we should ignore them. And we should be seeking peace instead. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. And I could preach today and tonight, I mean the second service and next week on peace because it is so important, but we're moving on. And things wherewith one may edify another. The second goal that we ought to have in the way that we get along with each other is always looking to help each other get better. The word edify means to build up something. The word edifice means a building. An edifice is a building. And so when we edify something, we're building it up. When we edify something, we're helping it grow and be better. And so that's what we want to follow after. Instead of worrying about epidurals or meat and Jewish rules of meat or Jewish holidays on the Jewish calendar, throw all that stuff away and emphasize the things that are important. What are they? Peace in the church and edification so that we're all getting to be better Christians. And if there was a weak Jew, if there was a weak Jew that could not eat the meat of Rome and had become a vegetarian, then let them be a vegetarian. And when you invite them over to your house, don't be grilling 8-ounce Angus burgers. Serve them a salad and rejoice about your salad. And while you're eating that bowl of grass, tell your Jewish guests that you love grass and that you love it when it's in a bowl together and that you love pouring vinegar over grass to make grass taste good and make that Jewish man feel comfortable and confident And then finish that time with him about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about here. Those those little things don't matter. And we want to help that Jewish man and we want to help his family be at peace among themselves and in peace with God. Because if we push him too hard about his conscience, we'll force him to sin against God. He'll lose his relationship with God. He won't have a peace in his conscience. We'll ruin his life. We'll destroy him, is the Bible word. We'll defile him, is the Bible word in these liberty chapters. We'll damn him, is the Bible word in verse 23. And so we don't want to do that. We want to aim and follow after the things wherewith one may edify another. So we want to constantly be thinking, how can I help this church member be at peace with the whole church, be at peace with me, and build them up in their love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if they are vegetarians and you invite them over to your house, I don't care if you sing, Oh, how I love Jesus before the meal and after the meal. If you serve them burgers, you have offended them, violated them, defiled them, and put a stumbling block in front of them. You have hurt the religion of Jesus Christ. You are not building them up. You are tearing them down. They go home pulling their hair out as to why you would be so offensive, why you would open your mouth to express your opinion and then even to serve it to them. So let's learn to follow after the things which make for peace and wherewith one may edify another. Uh, Brethren, I hope you know that much more could be said, and it is said in the pages that are sitting in front of me. But let's just keep moving on to the 20th verse, because you understand what verse 19 means. Listen, I want to get down in that aisle, and I want to run right out this door to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. And I I don't mean leaving you. I just mean I want to follow after. Right. Are you wanting, do you want to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul? Amen. This is how we do it. When you invite someone over to your house, you want to think very carefully about their background, what they've been taught in the past, and just guard, guard your conversation around that. You know, you, you say to me, but it's so easy for matters of Christian liberty to come up. Well, then why don't you talk about something important? You say, I don't like the way you put that. Everything of importance is not a matter of Christian liberty. There's so much we can talk about. You know, take them out on the deck and show them the sun. Sun worship is not a matter of Christian liberty. Talk about what a beautiful day it is. Talk about the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about He is altogether lovely. Talk about salvation by grace. Talk about regeneration by the immediate work of the Spirit, monergistically without the cooperation or help of man. There's a million things to talk about. But we don't have to talk about having babies underwater. I love it. Oh, you're all going to hate me before this one's over with. 
I love every single one of you. Listen, if you want to have your babies in bungee cords hanging upside down, it's going to take labor. Labor is going to be longer. Labor is going to be longer. I don't care how you do it, and God doesn't care how you do it, and I'm going to love you just as much. I'm going to love your children just as much, and I'm going to get excited about that birth and want to celebrate it with you. And I want us all to be thinking that same way about every single thing that we can think about. Let me go ahead and punish myself while we're at it. You know, I was raised by a man over here on your left in the second row who, who was a Baptist pastor and he was my pastor. That Sunday was the Lord's Day. And we didn't get to play on Sunday. We didn't get to ever play on Sunday. My brother, who was also sitting in this assembly, we never got to play on Sunday. All the neighborhood children that relied on us to help them play in the big field that was next to our house six days a week would come to our door because they wanted us to come out and enthusiastically play with them in some game of sports. But on the Lord's Day, they would never come to our door because they knew we couldn't come out. We were expected to take naps between the morning service and the evening service so that we would not lose the effect of it being the Lord's Day and having a sober, reverent attitude toward the things of that day. all of which I agree with. But since the New Testament doesn't tell me what you can or cannot do on the Lord's Day, if you feel the need that you have to go home and cut grass and be sweating out there in that stinking grass and swatting at bees and anything else that you're doing, you know what? Go to it. I love you. Let's come to the Lord's table and commune. But I'm telling you something that's a pet peeve with me. It grinds me every time I hear about it. I think, doesn't anybody fear God anymore? You say, why would you say something so strong about somebody that wants to go golfing, boating, hunting, fishing, motorcycle riding, cutting their grass on the Lord's Day? Well, that's just the way I was raised. You say, well, where do you stand on it? Well, I stand on it in a particular way for my family, but go to it. Just remember to fear God and love Him and reverently worship Him when you're in here. And when we cross some line that the Bible's drawn, then we'll deal with it. But until then, I love you all. So, for all you women that have had epidurals, or for all you women that hate epidurals, for you women that have your babies underwater or have your babies above the clouds, you know, we're all together now. We all have things that hurt our feelings. But we don't care because we want peace. And I hope there's no one in here that wants peace more than this pastor. You've got to understand something about our church. When you join this church, you are not joining an ordinary group of people. For anybody to be a member of this church and follow the scriptures without regard for what modern men think about how God should be worshipped, it takes men that think outside the box. And when you fill a room up with people that think outside the box, you have one box full of trouble. And I'm telling you, it's just the way it is. Because in order to do the things that we do because the Bible says to do them, that means we don't care what everyone else thinks. And when you don't care what everyone else thinks, then you're qualified because you're willing to look at Scripture for what it says rather than what men tell you it says, and you could possibly join this church. But that means all of us don't care about what everyone else thinks. Then we get in here and we get a sermon on Christian liberty and it tells us, guess what? What everybody else thinks is more important than what you think. That is a tough row to hoe, as they would say in the South. Do you understand that about our church? In order to stand on Holy Scripture that is no longer practiced in this country, we have to think outside the box. And once you do that and you put them together, you know, we're a bunch of all free thinkers, independent thinkers, opinionated thinkers, and we've got to just follow after the things which make for peace and wherewith one may edify another. Okay? Verse 20. For meat, destroy not the work of God. For these little things like epidurals and and what you can do on Sunday afternoon at 4.15, destroy not the work of God. What's the work of God? The conversion of a weak family. The conversion of a Jewish family. For meat, don't invite them over to your house and serve meat and destroy that Jewish family who would go home offended and who would be provoked in their conscience. And if they touched it, If they touched it without a pure conscience about that 8-ounce Angus burger you gave them, they would sin against God and bring damnation on themselves. That is destroying the work of God. What is the work of God? The conversion and grace that He has put in a Jewish family's life, and you're destroying it by your meat. Because you wouldn't eat a salad when you invited them over. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure. 
And these all things are severely limited. This is one of the places you can go in the Bible to prove that all doesn't always mean all. <laughs> Not all things are pure. You know, the stews and brothels that we just heard about relative to that martyr are not pure. But these matters of meat and drink are pure. And Paul has already said that back in verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. And so down here in verse 20, all things indeed are pure. This meat that's been offered to idol, idols, this pork, it's all pure. Every man can eat as much of it as he wants in good conscience. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. And that's that weak Jewish man who would eat that pork with offense. Because his parents, his granddaddies, his great-granddaddies, no one had ever eaten pork in his family. He knew that Moses had ruled against pork. He'd never had pork. And so it was an offense to him, and it becomes a sin to him. It is evil for that man who eateth with offense. So let's not destroy the work of God for something as small as meat, for something as small as epidurals. Let's not discourage anyone that joins our church. Let's put all the focus where it should be on the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by grace and glorifying God in heaven with one mind and one mouth. Let's put it all where it ought to be, on holy living. Holy living does not involve matters of Christian liberty. Holy living involves what the Bible describes as being holy. Okay, someone says, but pastor, I just got convicted hearing you talk about the Lord's Day. And and wouldn't we be more holy if if we kept the Lord's Day holy? and didn't do anything but took naps and sat around and read Scripture like you were implying? Yeah, my answer to you would be, I think we'd be more holy if we did that seven days a week. The more conservative position is always the weak position. Because the more conservative position rules out any alternatives because the person is weak and has to draw black and white rules. All of these... See, the Jew that won't eat meat because it might have been offered to an idol, that sounds pretty reverent of the high God of heaven. But he's weak. Why is he weak? Because he can't handle eating meat that doesn't have a thing to do with the real worship of God. Are are you following me? The more conservative position is the weak position. The strong position is the one that understands God's liberty. That does not mean that we become libertines. Because do you know what? This whole chapter and chapter 15 is about the strong restraining themselves to show mercy and charity and humility toward the weak. I'm weak on the Lord's day. And I like my weakness. I cannot make it binding on anyone else. The strong has a position Let's talk about meat. The strong can eat pork. But he doesn't have to eat pork. So the strong can give up pork to eat a salad. The strong can accommodate the weak. But the weak are so weak, they can't eat pork. They won't eat pork. So they can't accommodate the strong. That Are you with me? So they're weak. They are limited in what they can do because they have such an ignorant conscience. You say, are you saying that you have an ignorant conscience about activities in the Lord's day? To a point. Does that bother you? It's hard to say it. Are you still going to keep holding the position that you do about, yeah. Because that's my conscience before God. You know, if, if you can cut the, if you can cut the grass and give God thanks and wonderful. And if I don't cut the grass and give God thanks, then that should be wonderful to you as well. And together we're all going to get along well. Your yard's going to look as good as mine as long as you'll come over and cut mine as soon as you're done with yours on Sunday afternoon. This is how... I want to show you that I'm willing to give because I'm going to have to give. I could be a Sabbatarian so fast, but a Sabbath isn't taught in the New Testament. And anybody that knows me knows that I hate Sabbatarianism, but I could be I could be a Sabbatarian. 6 p.m. on Saturday evening to 6 p.m. on Sunday night. It just has a, it has a good feel. It's like a set of clothes that fit right. Romans 14. I hope this is being helpful, even though it sounds less systematic than I typically preach. 
Verse 20 said, for meat, destroy not the work of God. We wouldn't want to mess up a Jewish family just so that we could serve burgers. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. They can't do it, so we accommodate them and we serve them salads. And we, we get excited about that salad. We get creative. We go on Google, say, what's the, most, what's the best tasting salad in the world? And we figure out a new recipe. And when they come over, we show them vegetables like they've never seen vegetables. And we get excited about it. And we tell them, this is the, these are the best vegetables I've ever had because you haven't eaten any for 30 days. Um, oh, I love peace. I'll do anything to have peace. Verse 21, it is good. This is what is really good. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Verse 21, it is good. This is, this is kind of goodness that we want to have. Now this flesh here, it is good neither to eat flesh, that is meat that's been offered to an idol, or that is unclean meats of the Old Testament Jewish ceremonial laws. When it says not to drink wine, that is wine that's been offered as libations or drink offerings poured out to the idols of Rome. This is not teetotalers. This is not prohibition. This is not... Jews never had a problem with drinking wine. They all drank wine. It was the beverage of choice in both Testaments. Jesus drank wine all the time. That's why they called him a wine bibber. You don't have to go to John chapter 2 and find out that he made 600 gallons of wine, which is 2,400 bottles, for a wedding there. All you have to do is go to Luke chapter 7, verses 33 through 35, and find out that Jesus was called a wine bibber because he was so opposite of John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not eat bread or drink wine. Jesus Christ did both, and it didn't matter because the Jews wouldn't hear the preaching of either of them. And it's just ridiculous. But the beverage of choice for the Jews was always wine. And, and so this point right here, when it says wine, it's not talking about you know, what Bob Jones might say about drinking wine, because we couldn't care less what Bob Jones thinks about the drinking of wine. It's talking about wine that's been offered in sacrifice to idols when they would pour out part of the vintage to Jupiter in order to sanctify the whole vintage before it went into the shores on the, the shelves of the grocery store. It's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine. These are things that have been offered to idols that are unclean under Moses' law, nor anything. The Apostle Paul adds in, nor anything. That gets the epidurals and, and the Lord's Day behavior and and underwater births. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Because every one of our consciences is different. And the real point of Romans 14, 1 through 23 is, protect each other's conscience. The real issue is, protect another man's conscience. His conscience may not be at the same level of knowledge as yours. Like mine. Mine's small when it comes to the Lord's Day. It's stuck in habit and tradition. It's stuck in reading about reading too many Puritans and too many Sabbatarians who thought that the Old Testament Sabbath had been brought over to the New. How would I even know about 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. since it's not mentioned in the New Testament? Because I brought it back. I brought it over from the Old. Will you forgive me? It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. We are responsible for each other's conscience. So in our conversations, and in what we offer them when we have them over, or in what we wear, or in what we do, and then we tell everyone, or you write the pastor and say, would you stick this Would you stick this in the uh, church update, please? I had two epidurals. You know, I'm, I just might not do that. I just might say that it was a healthy birth. Baby and mom are doing well. They're going home in two weeks after they wear off the effects of the epidural. You know why I said that. Because that's how we think. You say, but I can go home and in five minutes I can find articles that show that epidurals are detrimental to the health of your children. And I can go home in four minutes and find articles that say that epidurals are not detrimental to the health of your children. And then I can go home and find out that most of the children that you love in this church had epidurals. You say, I don't believe that. I think everybody has their babies at home hung upside down by bungee cords. No, we're we're all over the map. We're all over the map. And it's the way it should be, and that's the way it can be, and it doesn't matter. And do I have an opinion? On certain things, you're not going to know what it is because that would be violating the whole point of what I'm preaching. Because if God's Word doesn't address it, then we don't care. You know, God's Word addressed the things that were Paul's problems. Meat offered to idols, Paul Paul would slide in every five verses. 
Paul would slide in. It's only a weak person would have a problem eating meat that's been offered to an idol because the idol is nothing. Have you noticed that? Paul's always sliding that in. And Jewish ceremonial laws, the New Testament is written against Jewish ceremonial laws. The Jewish ceremonial laws were nailed to the cross. But for a Jew that had been brought up that way, he was still allowed to carry them over. The Lord is so merciful, so gracious and kind to all of us because he knows what important things are and what unimportant things are. And can we learn that distinction ourselves? Can we learn that? There's three things needed to practice Romans 14. Humility, charity, discretion. Humility is to get off of your high opinion of what you think about things that the Bible doesn't care about. Charity is to care about what other people think in those things. And discretion is to know when to do what with whom and how to do it. Oh, Lord, teach us those three things. You know, it's a, it's a good thing not to eat flesh nor to drink wine or anything in any private event where you would cause a brother to stumble or to be offended or to be made weak. This is not teaching that you should never eat meat that had been offered to an idol or never to eat meat that was unclean under Moses' law or never to drink wine that had been offered to an idol. It is not teaching that. Only in a situation where there was a brother that you doing it would cause him to stumble. That's when you shouldn't do it. I'll prove it. If Paul was saying, it's really, really good if you just wouldn't eat meat and ever drink wine, if you all became vegetarians and drank water, that would be the safest thing. But he does. if he said that, there wouldn't be any chapters on Christian liberty. It would have taken one verse. Don't eat meat and don't drink wine. Eat salads and drink water. And you wouldn't need 30 verses of the Bible. That's only in Romans. You've got 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 9, and 10 dealing with Christian liberty. The reason he deals with Christian liberty is because we use wisdom and we're allowed these things. The next verse tells us where we're allowed them. Where are you allowed these things? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself. You can have your burgers at home and grill out every day of the week as long as you don't have a brother around that can see that you're chowing down on flesh that's been offered to an idol. Because the Lord doesn't care. Okay, you understand verse 21. Verse 22, hast thou faith? Hast thou faith? Of course we're all believers in the church of Jesus Christ. Of course they were had strong faith in Rome. Look what it's in Romans chapter 1, it says, verse 8, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. The Roman church was full of faith, and so he asks a question here, hast thou faith? Well, this faith is not the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This faith is in how strong their conscience is in some matter of Christian liberty. That's what this word, hast thou faith? Do you have faith that you can eat pork? Do you have faith that you can eat meat that's been offered to Jupiter? Do you have faith that you can ignore the Day of Atonement that the Jewish calendar had? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Don't make a big deal on the tenth day of the seventh month, which was the Day of Atonement, that you're going to work. Don't send an email to all the poor Jews in the assembly and tell them, Praise God, I'm thankful for my job and I'm looking forward to serving my master in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today. And you're thinking that you're being a great Christian because you're exposing your faith that you can go to work on the tenth day of the seventh month, the day of atonement, and wreck a Jewish family? Where the father has just sat the boys down the night before and told them to call their boss and report that they can't come to work for religious reasons the next day, and then you cut loose with an email like that? Not on my watch. Are you all following me? Can you, are you all following exactly what it means? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. You would do everything in your power to protect that Jewish family from having any repercussions for them not working that day. You would protect them. You would love them. You would encourage them. You, you could tell them, I hope you have a wonderful day off work on the 10th day. I hope you have a wonderful time with your family. I hope God will bless you. He said, it's hard for me to do. I think it's retarded to keep the tenth day of the seventh month in the New Testament. He has a weak conscience. Do you love him? I want to tell you something. I think, I think verse 15 told me that Jesus Christ died for this man who took the tenth day off in the seventh month every year. That Jesus Christ died for him. Can we protect Him? Can we love Him? 
Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Faith in things of liberty is good, verse 16, pure, verse 20, and it's of strong Christians, verses 1 and 2. Strong Christians think that things are pure that weak ones don't. I mean, and I've just shared one with you where most of you are pure and good and I'm weak. That's hard. It's a good example, though, so it's worth it. Have it to thyself before God. This is so wonderful. There's 278,588 words in the Bible. They are precious. Hast thou faith? How can you say it any shorter? Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. You mean each of us can do whatever we feel like on things that don't matter? And we can do it to God? Yep. That's what verse 6 said. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. It's a long verse. Bear with me. Because I love every word. Amen. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Is that wonderful? Amen. We can all do it to God. So you have faith that you can chow down on pork, you can chow down on meat that's been offered to Jupiter, and you can go to work on the tenth day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Have it to thyself. Don't go advertise it. Don't talk about it. Don't press it. Don't try to sell other people on your ideas. Don't send me five links of other idiots on the Internet that believe the same way you do because you're going to force me to waste three minutes to come up with ten idiots that believe the opposite way you do. Don't you know that because everybody can publish for free on the Internet, there's a million positions there of a billion idiots. I don't care what you can find on the Internet. Why don't you show some real research? And there's very few sitting in this assembly even mentally capable of proper research. Proper research is a very structured discipline in order to arrive at the truth when you have contradicting information being presented on all sides of all events, all issues. Can we look, can we find documents that red meat is hazardous to your health? Can we find documents that eating pork, because the human body wasn't made to digest pork, and it rots in your stomach, and it sends out little microbes and stuff that go after your brain, and pretty soon you're retarded because you ate pork? There's, there's, I'm telling you, I've read it. British Israelites will pop, pop up all these kind of documents. Every single thing. Can I get documents that tell me about your coffee addiction, some of you coffee drinkers, and what danger you're doing to yourself by drinking coffee? Those of you that are still drinking whole milk, don't you know how much milk fat there is in whole milk? Do you know that even when you drink that three and a quarter percent stuff that's called whole milk in the store, it's really, it's 50, it's half, it's half milk. It's only got half the fat. Where do you think they make the cheese and the butter from? Some of you don't think that you can eat margarine and be a Christian because it's plastic fat. Oh, we're going to cover some subjects. You know, if I want to coat my arteries with plastic fat, does that bother you? Lord, hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. So I can eat my margarine at home on crackers. One tube of crackers and one stick of margarine is an awesome treat and it's very cheap. Is that going to bother you? Can I do it to God? Lord, this is so wonderful. It's in this tube. It's vacuum packed. It's sealed up. I just got to tear it open, bust out those crackers. Get that stick of mar- I haven't eaten margarine in 30 years, just for any of you that are about to write me an email. <laughs> it is plastic fat. <laughs> this is what we're going to have to do with the whole subject. Do you understand yes. that? Yes. Amen. Do you know what? We, if we laugh about it, it's going to be wonderful. Yes. If we can laugh about it and get up and hug everybody and love each other. Yes. You know, there's, there's, there's two menu items and two dietary items that I hope we're excited about. Yes. Amen. And they're going to be poured and brought out at break time for our second assembly when we have the Lord's Supper. That's when we come together in unity. Do you know why it's called communion? It's our common union about the Lord Jesus Christ. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. If liberty is used carelessly, it can destroy the weak because they see you doing it and it offends their conscience and and it weakens their conscience to where they think, well, you know, he's a good brother. Maybe I've just been holding the line too tight. I'm going to go ahead and eat pork. Are you, you, are you listening to me? Right. 
If you do it carelessly and they see you do it or you talk about it openly and you talk about it confidently and you talk about it boldly and you talk about it almost arrogantly and then this Jewish family goes home and his children ask, Daddy, why can't we have pork? You know, Mariah, she eats pork three, five, seven days a week. Why can't we eat pork? And if you don't keep that stuff to yourself, and it's not all going to be kept to ourselves, it's going to pop up. But we don't go out and advertise it. We don't go out and broadcast it. Because if it does, and there is that Jewish family, and as soon as the children leave the table, the husband talks to the wife and says, am I holding too hard of a position? You know, the children are being pressured at church, the church that we went to because the Lord Jesus Christ is taught there. The Messiah has come. I hope you're getting sick to your stomach right now thinking about a family going through this kind of a discussion. We went there because the Lord Jesus Christ has already come and the Messiah promises and prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. But am I holding too hard of a line? I'm going to let the kids, I'm going to let the kids start to have pepperoni pizza. Don't laugh. I'm going to let the kids have pepperoni pizza. But his conscience has not reached that point. Do you want, do you want to hear the D words from Romans 14? Destroy twice. Destroy from 1 Corinthians 8. Defile. From Romans 14, damned. You have done. You have destroyed, destroyed, defiled, damned a Jewish family because you wanted to have your children running around talking about what you eat at home. You say it's going to be hard to control. I don't care. I don't care about things slipping every now and then. Impossible. Neither did Paul. Look at Paul. Paul's slipping it in himself. Doesn't he slip it in about every five verses? I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Well, how would that make a weak Jew feel? Because he has to preach the truth. Right. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Your discretion is to protect other people. Therefore, liberty is to be kept private. Paul was a master at altering his behavior. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul was a master at doing this. And we want to be like Paul. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 9.19. Paul was the strongest Christian short of Jesus Christ that there ever was. Jesus Christ gladly sacrificed his preferences. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't please himself. 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul saying, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And that is what we want to do in this church, is edify one another. We want to build each other up and help each other be better Christians, just like Paul wanted to do. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew. If the Jews were around, then Paul acted like a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, that's Gentile proselytes, as under the law, or Jews that still felt that they had to keep the law of Moses that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, I was... I'm, I'm adding some word. I won't do it. Verse 21. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you." You can be a partaker in evangelism by guarding the consciences and the liberties of others. When you have them over to your house or you're in a conversation with them or their children come over and spend the night at your house or your children go to spend the night at their house, you've laid down the rules of what's talked about, what's not talked about, what's served, what isn't served. You know, don't invite me over on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock to chop wood with you. I might be offended. It's not going to hurt me. Um, I hope you understand this. Hast thou faith, have it to thyself. Paul was awesome about it. Paul was great. Paul gave us an example. Do you know what Paul is actually teaching here? Do you want a simple phrase that you've heard before? When in Rome, do as the Romans do. What's the title of this book? Romans. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. So Paul would be a Jew to the Jews. He would be under the law to those under the law. He'd be without law to those without law. But he's, he puts in parentheses, don't think that I became a libertine or lascivious. I was still under the law of Christ. Right. I became weak to those that are weak. I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. That is what a gracious, soul-loving person will do toward anyone. Right. Accommodate them. 
And Paul was great at it. What an example in Acts chapter 16 and verse 3, when he found Timothy in Derby, he circumcised him. Because he knew that everyone around there knew that his father was a Greek, that he hadn't been circumcised, he wouldn't, the Jews would not have listened to him. And so in that particular case, no precedent was being set. He circumcised Timothy. In Galatians chapter 2, the first five verses, he had another ministerial understudent named Titus. And Titus wasn't circumcised. But in Jerusalem, there was an issue being made about circumcision. Paul wouldn't come close to circumcising Titus. Is Paul a, is Paul a hypocrite? Is Paul inconsistent? Not a chance. He is just wise. He is wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. In Acts 16, he circumcises Timothy. In Galatians 2, he won't circumcise Titus. He was wonderful about it. And yet, he preached against the law of Moses. He said that those those, uh, ceremonial ordinances, Colossians chapter 2, had been nailed to the cross. But when he came back at the end of his life to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21, James pulled him aside and said, Brother, I know that God has blessed you mightily among the Gentiles, but look at how many thousands of Jews that believe. And they have all heard that you are blasting against the law of Moses everywhere you go. Would you mind doing us a favor? Would you go in and take a Jewish vow on for a few days so that they could see you in the temple with your head shaved, knowing that you've had a Jewish vow? No problem, James. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's graciousness. Right. That's charity. That's love. That's selflessness. It isn't hypocrisy. Hypocrisy only appeals to only applies applies to moral issues of God's commandments. Pharisees were hypocrites. They wore the scripture on their arms. They wore it on their foreheads, but they wouldn't obey it. Pharisees were hypocrites. Jesus said they were whitewashed sepulchers because they would have all these ordinances for men, but they wouldn't keep them themselves. It wasn't matters of liberty. They wouldn't keep the word of God. They, they had made up a little rule called Corbin in which you could get yourself out of the commandment to honor father and mother. That's hypocrisy. Altering behavior or speech due to the persons that are present or the circumstances around you is charity and godliness. It's a good thing. Graciousness always wants to be and always wants to do what the audience desires or expects of us. Hate the feeling that you should be what you are at all times in order to be consistent. And I'm just, I'm just out there. I'm just direct. I'm just plain. I'm just honest. Honesty stinks and is wrong when it comes to Christian liberty. We agree to disagree in matters of Christian liberty. Like the Apostle Paul. Boy, if you were a Jew and you were with Paul and there weren't Gentiles around and there was no precedent being set, he would act like a Jew. We want to be just like him. Verse 22, Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. It is wonderful to bring your conscience up to speed to allow every good thing that God allows in his word. Even though maybe your mommy and daddy didn't do it or your grandmommy and granddaddy didn't do it. It's wonderful. Happy. It's happiness. There's a goal of a greater degree of happiness if you can get your conscience educated and trained to allow everything that God allowed. Pork is good. Burgers grilled are good. Just think of the poor Jew, what he was depriving himself of. No burgers. No pizza. No bacon and eggs. What do you do at breakfast? Special K? Shredded wheat, Wheaties, Cheerios, Golden Grams, and nowadays, 250 others. You know, when I grew up, there was grape nuts and cornflakes and shredded wheat, and I think that was it, wasn't it, Dad? Very few. We have so many options today. Amen. Happy is he that condemneth not himself. Condemning yourself, condemning yourself is equivalent to God condemning you because you're condemning yourself because you think you're doing something that is wrong in the sight of God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. You know, and, there, and sure, there were Jews that were converted and came to the understanding, you know what? There is only one God and all these idols I have around the city of Rome don't mean a thing. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for flooding me with peace. Thank you for bringing my conscience to understand that. Thank you for Paul preaching. Thank you for Paul writing Romans 14, 1 through 23. Thank you for Paul writing 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 9, and 10. You've converted me, Lord. Thank you. Family, get in the station wagon. We're going into town.
It's a wonderful thing. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. But now let me tell you something. We learned, we learned a rule of Christian liberty back in verse 5. The last sentence of verse 5 of Romans 14. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Don't you compromise with your conscience before God. You get yourself fully persuaded. But once you get yourself fully persuaded, you have happiness on the horizon because you can allow yourself to do things that in the past you couldn't do. We are not talking about sin. We are talking about things that don't matter. Let me give you an example. Childbirth has a tendency to cause a little bit of discomfort. Childbirth has a tendency. When you try to pass something this big through something this big, it has a tendency toward discomfort. So, you've had a conscience against epidurals because in five five minutes of research on a weekend, you found an article that said it takes three points of intelligence off your child's IQ. But then you read God's Word, and you look through all the pages, and you say, they use stools in the Bible, and I've never met a woman yet who's done it on stools, unless she was in the tub. Um, Oh. Boy, it's going to get complicated. I've only read about stools. I've never read about epidurals. So I guess God doesn't care about epidurals. And so this woman comes to a place. Huh. Are you kidding me? They can just roll me over and stick a needle in my spine and I won't feel a single thing. <laughs> Happy. Happy. Is he that condemneth not himself and that thing which he alloweth. You say, but what if there's one in a million chances that you could lose five points on your child's IQ? Who cares? They're going to lose that the first time they go out in the sandbox and eat a mouthful of sand. Get real. All these babies that think they're health experts when the Lord doesn't care. The Lord doesn't care. All He cares about with your body is that you don't bring it in contact with something that involves the Holy Spirit in sin, like going to a prostitute. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 10-20. through happy. Can you see how happy a woman could be that doesn't condemn herself any longer in that thing which she allows? Wonderful. Let's go to verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he... This is the opposite. We have a happy people in verse 22. We have people in verse 22 with faith, and they're able to have it to themselves before God, and they're happy in the things that they're able to allow, but in verse 23 is those weak brothers that don't have that kind of a conscience, and they are not happy. And he that doubteth is damned. He's doubting. He's thinking... You know, Lord, have mercy upon me, and I hope all of you are understanding of the difficulty of preaching on this with so many things twirling in my mind. And I'm just using epidurals as an example. I'm not picking on anyone on either side of that issue. Trust me, it's going to get far worse than this. You've just got to allow me to bring up things that are controversial to a certain degree among women that are Christian women and wanting to have birth to glorify God. You know, oh, who cares how it gets here? Lord, just save that child. And we don't... We mean it's soul. We mean it's soul. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat. See, in verse 22, we have the Jewish family that finally came to the place where the father said, Lord, thank you for saving my conscience. I can now have my family eat these good things. Family, get in the car. We're going into town. We're going to eat them. Happy is that family. They're so ex- Can you imagine them pulling up to McDonald's in their station wagon? What do you want, kids? I don't know. I've never had any of it, Daddy. But my friends all say, a Big Mac's pretty good. And French fries fried up in pig fat. Can you imagine the happiness in that vehicle when they eat their first French fries? They're going down the road singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Because Jesus Christ has saved them from the law of Moses. And the New Testament has saved them from the law of Moses. But in verse 23... We have a family where the father sits down with his wife and says, I can't do it. And he that doubteth is damned if he, if he puts his children in there or he takes, them to a, he takes them to a church picnic or something and they eat something that they shouldn't. He's crossed the line with his conscience and he that doubteth is damned if he eat. How does it, why does God the Holy Spirit put the word damned in there? 
because he has destroyed his relationship with God, because he's no longer at peace with his conscience, he's violated his conscience, and violating his conscience means he has sinned against God, he's lost fellowship with God, and God is going to judge him as if he had sinned against one of the things that are not matters of Christian liberty. Because when your conscience says, God does not want me to do that, and you go and do it anyway, then you've sinned against God because your conscience made it an issue with God. Does everyone understand that? And the the real issue is we want to keep everyone out of verse 23. If, If they have doubts about something, then we want to encourage them to keep eating salads. And we are going to start a vegetable garden so that we can sell them vegetables at below market cost so that they can have salads. We are going to do everything in our power to help them. This is how we are going to function as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all there is for the present time. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Much more could be said, but it shall be said later.